Hello and welcome to another podcast of Father and Joe. I'm Joe Rocky here with Father Boniface Hicks. And Father, today we got a, a unique situation because we got the email where we did the episode a few months back, maybe a month ago, about people looking to to have explanations about things that are going on in their lives that may not necessarily be going on at ours, but are certainly an element of life. And in that particular email, it was about people passing away. And that's why we did our conversation about how to have those types of conversations. We had an episode about what extraordinary medicine means to the church and when to imply it or use it rather. And recently one of my friends is a seminarian and while still being in school, he kind of did an extra credit project, if you will, where he wanted to go out and talk to a bunch of high school kids to see what their questions they typically ask are so he can find out what the answers are. So when he's a priest, he knows what what bullets are getting shot at him, if you will, and, and how to adjust to them. So essentially, what I have here from him is a list of the most common questions that high school kids ask the seminarian dash priest um, and the things that were impacting them. Clearly I'm not in high school anymore. So I've outgrown some of these questions just from the virtue of life, but knowing how large our audience has become and how diverse it's been as far as geographically, um, I would like to think that this would be a good chance to ask some of these questions to you as there's a strong likelihood that, we have members of our audience that either have people who are going through these questions or are going through some of these uh, themselves. Now, some of them we have answered before and some of them we have not, but these are written from the minds of ninth through 12th graders. So keep that in mind in the context of the questions. And um, with that being said, let's go into the questions and, and see what random Americans are asking priests. <laughs> And I like I said, I'm sure you have dealt with these under the seal of confession, but since these are publicly asked questions now, we can ask them to you publicly. So he says the first and foremost question that he gets um, is, "Why can I not have sex with my girlfriend slash boyfriend?" Well, I think uh, I think we did cover that actually early in our podcast. We we looked into some of the aspects of the theology of the body and the meaning of human sexuality and uh and some dimensions of chastity and it's uh it's it's a, an understandable question given the cultural shift that's taken place we've come to this idea that uh sex is somehow just about pleasure and uh somehow giving each other pleasure or uh that it doesn't have any meaning essentially i mean that's that's the bottom line or that it or that the meaning that it has is uh is redefinable it's kind of a place that we're in philosophically as a culture as if we can just redefine the meaning of everything according to what we want rather than realizing that meaning you know the structure of the body like just because you want your arms to bend backward doesn't mean that they will. I mean, just uh, facing the limits of reality is something that the human race seems to have a hard time handling. So, so what is the meaning of human sexuality? Well, essentially, in having sexual intercourse, 
we're saying with our bodies, I give you everything. I give you my whole life. Because the natural end of sexual intercourse is having a baby. That's where babies come from. They don't come from any other place. That's how God designed babies to be produced is through sexual intercourse. And that would be the normal expectation, which is why when people have sex, an immediately following thought is, oh, I wonder if I'm pregnant from a woman, or I wonder if my girlfriend is pregnant from the guy. We, we know that sex and babies go together. And when you have a baby, you really commit a life to a human being. When you have children, it's, it's a, a lifelong activity. Even if you're only raising them for 18 years in the house, um, they're still your children. And having the, the matrix of human love, mother and father, male and female, on which that human life is raised is unarguably the best context for human life to be raised. So just to dial all that back and to say again, what does sexual intercourse mean? Well, it has to do with creating human beings. And so it has to do with making a total gift of my life for the sake of another. And I'm doing that as a partnership. I'm not just doing that on my own. I can't do something on my own to create a baby. I can only do that with someone of the opposite sex. And so, again, I'm just doing a little philosophical uh, thoughtfulness about the, the meaning of human sexuality. So if, uh, if sex means I give my whole life to you, that's really what I'm saying with my body, then I have to be willing to give my whole life to somebody. And then what we've gotten into is this situation where we think we can use some technology to kind of manipulate the sexual act so that it behaves differently, so that it would have a different meaning. But that just doesn't work for a lot of reasons. It's still the same sexual act, whether you put up some barrier, you take some chemicals, whether you try to prevent some outcomes. At the end of the day, the outcomes are not really preventable anyway. Uh, every contraceptive has uh, some failure rate because that act is oriented toward creating babies and the babies will come. Now, when we think about how many people have been using the pill for the last decades and how many babies were produced on the pill in the last decade, it's uh, pretty evident that those techniques are, uh, are, are limited. And so, so we can't just create, we can't just change the meaning of, of uh, a human activity. We have to understand what what sex was there for, what it's what it's meant to do, how it how it functions. So, and and then the other observation of this is, and you know, I've done enough campus ministry to talk with enough young men and women who are dating. Those who are sexually active have much more painful breakups than those who are not because sex is about bonding and that bonding is for the sake of babies and when two people have bonded through sexual activity then tearing them apart is uh, is horrendous it's it's really not what we're meant for in fact there are chemical physical changes that take place especially in the woman's body as a result of sexual intercourse their bodies really align themselves to each other and that's meant to happen basically once in a lifetime there are exceptions and spouses die young, there are uh, things like that. And that, you know, remarriage is certainly a possibility when the, when the spouse has died. And, uh, but, but that bonding experience is really meant to happen once. Our biology is arranged for that. And what I'm saying is also scientifically verifiable. Our listeners can go and look these things up. But 
uh, when we when we use sexual activity, which has a particular meaning and it has a particular consequence, then violating that meaning violates the structure of our humanity. And then we feel the consequences of that, which is that withdrawal and depression, those painful breakups where there's such a pining after the opposite, the person of the opposite sex. And again, a, a typical thing, you know, I'm, I have to make generalizations because I'm not talking to individuals, I'm talking to a generalized uh, audience right now. But the typical thing is, you know, a guy who is somewhat less affected by these things has sex with his girlfriend. It creates a bonding between them he gets tired of her or he gets interested in somebody else and she's still pining after him. And even though they've broken up, she's willing to be used periodically when he feels like it. And she has this hope that they're going to get back together again. And, and we see these kinds of destructive cycles, which have led to a lot of children out of wedlock without fathers to care for them. And just a lot of that mess that, again, I'm very compassionate toward all the individuals that are in that mess. And I, I talk to some number of them and they regret the choices that they have made. And um, But uh, fundamentally, they need to be cared for. And we try to structure society to take care of people. But we also want to uh, fix the problem at the source, which is this confusion about the meaning of sexuality. When we understand that sexual activity, that that sexual intercourse means I give my whole life to. And we start to see the beauty of marriage that two human beings can actually come together, make promises with their hearts expressed through their lips in a sacrament before God, and then make the exchange of bodies, the gift of their bodies to seal that covenant. And then it turns out that that exchange of bodies really renews the covenant every time. And so uh, as a married couple moves forward, when they have sexual relations, it really is renewing the marriage vows. Those marriage vows are, are rooted in being, uh, need to be made in a way that's free, that's total, that's faithful, it's exclusive to one person, and it's fruitful. It's open to new life, open to procreation. And so the marriage vows are the, the same as the sexual intercourse. It has that kind of structure, free, total, faithful, and fruitful. And, and when all of that's lived out well, then uh, marriage and sex and the unity of body and soul, the promises made at the altar, and then lived out physically in the marriage bed. And then obviously that flows over into the relations in the home, the same kind of unity and totality and gift of the heart to each other. All that flows together beautifully. When you start to, to, to mix that up with experimental sex and friends with benefits and uh, all of these kinds of things, then it creates a lot of problems. It creates uh, some kinds of addiction and pornography gets mixed together with sexual activity. And then a woman is never going to measure up. Pornography means the uh, the pictures of the prostitute. Pornea in Greek is prostitute. And so the, the professional sex object that a woman makes herself or is forced into, I'm not, anyway, uh, is, you know, no wife is ever going to live up to that. And so a man who's formed his mind around that is looking for some kind of sexual gratification out of their sexual activity that is not going to be a part of marriage. The beauty of 
sexual intercourse is in that donation. It's in that uh, gift of self that includes mind and heart, our emotional structure, our uh, sensitivity to each other, the dedication that goes beyond just what happens in bed to what happens in the rest of life and a real offering of life to each other. So uh, again, to empty that act of meaning or try to change the meaning really does violence to our humanity. And ultimately, it does violence to relationships and creates a lot of heartache and brokenness and fractured commitments and leads to things like divorce and abortion and uh, unhappy uh, marital relations. And those are all the things that were predicted by Paul VI when he said, if you try to use artificial contraception to change the meaning of sexual intercourse, then these will be the consequences. And he was exactly right. Uh, so that he said that more than 50 years ago, and the, the numbers have borne that out. Uh, absolutely. So, so those are, those are some, some of the thoughts about, you know, and then in terms of uh, obviously sexual intercourse, and then any ways that we deviate from sexual intercourse through other ways, oral and manual and whatever else that, that we're trying to use sex for pleasure and separate it from the meaning of babies is going to suffer from all of the same things that there's going to be a kind of uh, fragmented, a fractured bonding. It's going to empty the meaning. It's going to, you know, essentially we're lying with our bodies. We're saying, I give my whole self to you. And then I don't really intend to say that. And so it's sending those mixed signals and um, <clears throat> just leads to a lot of unhappiness and inability then to bond with the person that you do finally want to be with. And that's not, doesn't make that impossible, but it requires then some healing and and forgiveness, and then the the feeling of, you know, having been with somebody else's wife, uh, because you know, if you had sex for a while in college, and then you get married after college, or you had sex in high school, and then you get you meet your college uh, sweetheart, and you've already had sex with three or four people, and then she feels like she's second rate, she's number three, four, five. And, and it just creates wedges and heartache and brokenness and limits our capacity for commitment and just causes a lot of problems, really. So it's not just a kind of arbitrary rule from people who want to take the fun out of life. It really is a meaningful observation of the structure of our humanity, which is not something that we're free to redefine, but is something that we have to live according to. You know, if you dump a lot of alcohol in your liver, it's going to create liver problems. I mean, <laughs> these are just realities that we have to reckon with, and we we don't get to redefine them and and use technologies and medicines and whatever else to 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 change the structure of our humanity. So, uh, but when we live according to the structure of our humanity, it, it leads to something very beautiful. And I think I've <clears throat> I've sort of walked the I've straddled the uh, the positive and negative view of this thing and trying to show some of the negativity of not following the structure and the positivity of following the structure. But there really is a beautiful teaching on human sexuality. And that's um, Pope John Paul gathered that together in such a wonderful way in the theology of the body. But it's it's always been rooted in the church's teaching on, on human sexuality, really the sanctity 
of sexuality. We've, we've sometimes gotten caught in the cycle of thinking that sex is dirty or something. And so that you have to avoid it until absolutely necessary. <laughs> and that's never been the church's teaching officially. Uh, there may have been people in the church that taught that, but, but the church's teaching has always been that it's, it's to be avoided until the right time because it's holy, because it's, it's sacred. It's a sacred act in which God does the most amazing thing. Heaven and earth is changed forever when a new human soul is created through the through sexual intercourse. It's the it's the holiest thing that happens on earth, really, uh, that takes place between married couples. And so, because it's so holy, then it requires the the right conditions to properly. Uh, for the proper setting, for the the proper self gift in that context. So, anyway, those are a few few thoughts on. Uh, it's a complicated, you know, it's a lengthy answer because it's our sexuality is involved. It really cuts through everything in our humanity. Every cell in our body is male or female, and so sexuality is really important to who we are. And so, anyway, it's sometimes we we take on these questions which seem to. Uh, just have a simple yes, no answer and really involve a lot of understanding who we are as human beings and how God has, has made us. So father, obviously great answer for that. And, and yes, yeah, some of these we have addressed in some prior episodes. And, and I think that that, that was, was a great answer there. Uh, so the next question you actually have kind of alluded to it in your answer in the prior one, um, which is why can't I get drunk dash get high? Um, yeah, that's uh, again a, a valid question. Uh, I guess I could probably ask a reverse question and say, why do you want to get drunk or get high? And that probably reveals something in the underlying motivation. Um, I, uh, I rather enjoy life without getting drunk and getting high. So um, maybe uh, somebody is missing something in their life that they want to address through some chemical means of some altered states of consciousness. And so that's, I think, worth looking at. What's uh, wh Why is life better for you? Or, or what makes, um, you know, the losing of inhibitions through drunkenness or through uh, use of uh, drugs. Why, why do you want that? And uh, really the most beautiful thing is when we can let down our inhibitions responsibly with people who can receive us in our vulnerability, when we can be really open and open our hearts to people. And that's a kind of virtue that we have to work towards. It's sort of like, well, why not just use steroids time in order to uh, pump up your muscles? Why bother working out? and exercising well uh, because it's for one thing going to mess up your body in the long run it's only a short-term solution and basically anything that we're taking shortcuts for rather than working towards we're really shortchanging ourselves in the process because um, learning how to be vulnerable learning how to open our hearts learning how to see the world with new eyes um, so in other words, learning how to get the benefits in a way of altered consciousness without rushing the experience through drugs and alcohol is an important development in our humanity. 
like one of the things that uh, LSD acid does is it makes you notice everything. And so that's why somebody on an, uh, an acid trip, everything is sort of like bright and in living color, they're noticing a lot of things that we don't normally notice. You know, when you're driving along the road, you're missing 99% of what's going on around you. You're, you're keeping your eye on the road. You're paying attention to a certain small number of things to prevent an accident. You're looking for the exit sign. You're missing almost everything else around you. When you're on acid, you notice everything. But what we really need to learn how to do is selectively pay attention to things we're not normally noticing. It's really developing the eye of an artist and learning how to do that and to cultivate awe and wonder at things that we had just blanked out is a, an important skill for the development of our, our minds and hearts to take in reality in a new way. So instead of rushing into that through acid, which will also create other problems because if you tried to drive when you're on acid, you're noticing way too much stuff and you can't pay attention in the limited way you need to the most important. Everything seems to be kind of equally important. And so you're endangering your life and the life of others. There are things that you just can't do. And, and similarly with, uh, with marijuana uh, and, and creating a certain high, it, it alters our reason and it, it puts, a, uh, puts us in a certain kind of fog. It may help us pay attention to certain other things. And in some cases, you know, we do have some medical marijuana. There are people who suffer from depression or even in some cases, alcoholism that through uh, controlled amounts of that substance, it can be like a medicine like penicillin or uh, some other uh, antibiotics or other medicines, heart medicine or blood pressure medicine, things that do adjust our physiology, but they do it in controlled ways that are not meant to uh, cloud over our our reason. So uh, likewise with alcohol, you know, uh, Jesus changed water into wine. The church has never prohibited alcohol as such. In fact, it's absolutely necessary. It's, it's impossible to have the Eucharist without wine. <laughs> so the church has made it a fundamental part of the structure of her liturgical worship. And the most important thing that the church does, the source and summit of all grace in the church, the Eucharist, requires wine. So that's how important wine is <laughs> to Catholics. But you can have uh, a little bit of wine that becomes the blood of Christ in the Eucharist. You can have a little glass of wine to have a celebratory uh, dinner, you can have a little bit of, of alcohol without getting drunk, and you can enjoy the taste of the alcohol and the, the fermentation, the cultivation of the alcohol um, without getting drunk. The problem with drunkenness is that it really destroys our reason, and it also makes us lose uh, long-term, normally we're balancing short-term gains and long-term gains. So we have a we have a kind of intuitive feel for, this is going to be bad for my future. Things like having sex, <laughs> to go back to our first question. You know, uh, if I have a baby with this girl, um, this is going to change my whole life. And I need to probably reckon that before I just go ahead and follow the the passions. But basically, reason collapses into the passions when we get drunk and we lose sight of the long-term reality of our life, 
who we are, where we came from, where we're going, all the long-term stuff gets gets kind of collapsed and reduced and we don't reason very well at that level. And what's immediate becomes very important to us, disproportionately important to us. And so then, uh, you know, we end up making bad decisions that we regret when we come out of the drunkenness. Now, does that happen every time that we're drunk? Well, probably a lot actually. Um, but does it happen to the the worst degree every time we get drunk? Well, certainly not. But uh, does it impair reason? Does it put us in danger? Is it the near occasion of uh, of other sins? And uh, and is it already destroying the God's greatest gifts to us, which are reason and free will? Our free will is limited, and our reason is limited by drunkenness. And the more we drink, the more limited we become. And and that's really throwing back in God's face the very gifts that he gave us. And so uh, that's not good. And and rather to cherish, to reverence those gifts and to care for them, to use them well, um, that's really that's really what we're looking for. So hopefully that gives enough of a sense about alcohol and drugs. It, it certainly does. And those were kind of the most common questions we have. We will dive in to, to some of the other ones here in future podcasts here. Um, but the one observation I have from today's episode in particular, but as well as a common theme throughout all of uh, our discussions we've had throughout the years, is that the faith and the teachings from the church are very practical. And they all come from the same starting point, which is, life is cherished but they also have the underlying current of it is the long run is more important than the short run and i think that that is something that it's very important and often overlooked and you know obviously that's part of maturity is to start accepting the long run over the short run and you know given the fact that this list comes from a bunch of high schoolers it makes sense that all the questions are effectively fighting that short versus long run mentality because you can, psychologists will tell you when you mature at different points in your mind, but it's not when you're 13. <laughs> I think that's pretty safe to say. So I think these little check-ins and, and doing episodes such as this are, are valuable in that to sit back and think the majority of our teachings are to make your life better in the long run even if you don't like it now. And in a much broader societal observation, that's essentially what our culture is fighting against. Essentially someone being a parent and telling them to grow up. And that's a that's an element for a different day, I suppose. But with that being said, Father, you've given us so many great answers here today. I want to give you a chance to, to give any final thoughts we have before we dive into our list a little bit more in the next episode. I guess I probably should have even said up front, uh, and I can certainly say now here on the back end of our podcast, but I'm grateful that high school students are asking those questions. And I'm grateful to the seminarian who is uh, trying to get ahead of the curve and have some answers to those questions that matter to people, that are important to people. And as you said very beautifully, the church is very practical and the church always has good reasons. So it's never just an arbitrary imposition of one person's will against another. 
it really is something that has been received from God, discerned and taught over centuries, and is something really trustworthy for about how we live our life. And so by all means, ask the questions and, and don't be even be satisfied with my response, unless you are, you know, but, but can, can continue exploring and ask those questions and dig in deeper. I mean, I'm only given a 10 minute response. I, I spent years studying this stuff in seminary and really diving into it to understand it because I had these questions and uh, I, I was baptized at 21. I, I went down some of these paths. So I, I, they're, they're important to me. And so asking the questions, I think, is just so important. And the catechism is a great source. And there are a ton of things written now on the theology of the body, on human sexuality, on church's teaching on sexuality. Uh, Christopher West is a great source. Is, uh, the good news about sex and marriage covers a number of those things and, and things along the lines of alcohol and drugs. And there's a lot of things online that you can find from good sources. Um, in the church's teaching. So anyway, uh, don't don't settle for easy answers and dig into the rationale. And we learn a lot in the process of of pressing into those questions that are that are important to us. Perfect. Well, thank you very much for that answer. And again, we thank everyone for listening with us. Um, so we will be with you again here next week. And thank you for helping us grow.